I was thinking how I was going to introduce myself, and I was thinking, hey, maybe I should introduce myself as Pastor Mike and see how many visitors we have, <laughs> and then ask the congregation, hey, don't tell them, and then see who tells, who comes to me afterwards and, <laughs> and says I'm Pastor Mike. But um, it's really good to see you guys here. I really appreciate um, just all the uh, fact that you guys as a church give me the opportunity to present to you once in a while what God has been putting on my heart to share. Um, so yeah, my name is not Pastor Mike, it's Luke, for those of you who are visiting or who uh, this is the first time you seeing me speak. My name is Luke, I'm the College and Career Director, um, and again, um, I'm here to just share with you what God has given to me to speak on this morning. And a couple of disclaimers, Oop, the first one is, is that I'm not sure I'm using this right. The second is, um, I forgot to put the scripture on the slides, so you'll have to either pull out your phones or use one of those things with pages in it, a book or something, <laughs> and follow along as I read the scripture this morning. Um, and the other disclaimer is this, is that I am not Pastor Mike, which means one of two things for you. One is that either I am going to, like, do terribly today. <laughs> and what that means for you is that come back next week and you'll hear a better message. But the other, set, the other thing is, is that if I do really great today, then that's great, but still come back next week because you'll probably still hear a better message. <laughs> uh, Pastor Mike is really, really great at what he does, and he's been really great in helping me along as well, even in my own preparation for this sermon. So before I get started and before I jump into today's passage and our topic, let me begin and open us in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we just thank you so much, God, that we are on this side of Christmas, Lord, because when we're on this side of Christmas, God, we realize that you sent your son, and that means that, Lord, that he, was, he is continuing to do the work Lord, and we're on this walk towards what we celebrate in the spring, which is the reason why Christ came to this earth in the first place, which was to die on the cross and give us opportunity for forgiveness of our sins, Lord. And Lord, we thank you so much, Lord, that we were able to share in the celebration of his birth, but then also remember, Lord, that his birth was for a reason, and that reason, Lord, is because you loved us and you care for us, Lord. And this morning, as we think about that reality, Lord, that he came to this earth to offer forgiveness, and as that's what we look to this morning as our topic, Lord, that you can open up our eyes to the reality of what forgiveness truly is. And Lord, that we can leave here, at the very least, with one new form of, uh, of an understanding or knowledge of forgiveness, or a new opportunity for us to share what we learned with someone around us, Lord. So we pray that all of this in your name. Amen. So this morning, as you couldn't, if you didn't already tell, is that our topic is surrounding this idea about forgiveness. And specifically, this is going to be centered around the parable of the unforgiving servant, which is found in Matthew 18. Uh, and if you want to turn there now, if, since I don't have any of the slides, now's your opportunity before I start reading it, which is found in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. And in this uh, parable, and in this teaching that Jesus is going to be presenting to us in these verses, we're going to see that Jesus is teaching us through his teaching and his parable that there are three truths about forgiveness that we as believers 
need to understand in order to fully forgive in a correct way and be able to forgive fully. So again, those are three truths about forgiveness that we really need to understand, that we need to hold on to as believers. So let me read for you our passage. Again, it's Matthew 18, verses 21 through the end of the chapter. And it says this, it says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay his master, he ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master, and out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw that, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to, be, to, to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to you, do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So this is the passage we'll be primarily looking at this morning. And Upon first glance, it seems like a pretty simple parable to understand. It reads pretty easy. We kind of get a few basic points pulled from it. And we think, okay, well, this is about forgiveness. So obviously, I think probably what Jesus is going to say is that, you know, you're pretty lousy at forgiveness. You should probably do better. So I'm just going to do better at forgiveness. Great. That's the sermon. Let's go get lunch. Let's just finish up here, right? But again, this is our initial understanding of what forgiveness is, that we should just be doing it, that it's something that we need to do. But Jesus is pulling out a few extra things, a few extra truths about forgiveness that, again, we need to understand as believers to really grasp what forgiveness really is. And one of the reasons that I felt that God was pulling me towards this passage this morning, that this is something that God wanted me to pursue and to share with you, is because Peter's question at the very beginning of this uh, passage is really, really relatable. It's relatable to me, and it resonates with me. This is because I realized that the question that Peter asks, it's not just similar but it's pretty much the same exact question I ask every single time I am faced with the reality of if I am going to forgive or not. See, this question is seemingly simple, but undoubtedly it is relatable. 
Not only to me, though, because I believe that it's relatable to all of us. Because every one of us has, uh, has asked this question before. Every one of us struggle with the reality of what to do when forgiveness is hard. And we echo Peter's question. And Peter's question is essentially this. He he's goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive when someone wrongs me? And this sticks out to me because I say, I, I think I probably asked it exactly this way before in my life. Um, and, but what even sticks out more than this relatable question is the way that Jesus responds. It's the answer that Jesus gives. Because Jesus' answer is quick and, de- and decisive. I mean, he doesn't mince words here. It's a single sentence, and it not only answers Peter's question, but it corrects Peter's question. See, Peter's question was, how many times do I have to forgive? And then, but Jesus turns to Peter and says, you are looking for a number, but I tell you, there is no number. Just simply forgive. And this is what the reality is behind that statement that, you know, you say seven, but I say 77. Some translations say, some say seven, but I say 70 times seven. This isn't a numeric value. And we'll see actually the same concept played again a couple times in this parable, that Jesus is not trying to set a limit, a numeric limit, that we go up to this certain point, and then that means we're off the hook for forgiveness. He's saying, no, listen, there is no limit to forgiveness, so don't even ask this question. Forget about it. I just want you to forgive. See, Jesus is making this bold claim about forgiveness, which is also the first truth that we need to understand. And this truth is that forgiveness is not, an op- is not optional in the life of a believer. Again, Forgiveness is not optional in the life of a believer. See, we hear Jesus' claim, and upon first glance, we go, okay, I I can kind of get it. Like Peter, we say, you know, we should probably have some semblance of grace and mercy towards people who offend us. And in fact, in Peter's question, we see this example that Peter is saying, you know what, I've heard this saying given by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees would say this, if you forgive three times, then you've forgiven enough. And Peter thinks of that and he says, okay, that's what the Pharisees say, but you know what, I mean, I know Jesus doesn't really agree with a lot of what the Pharisees say, so I'm not gonna say that. I'm gonna say he's gonna ask for a little bit of more grace a little bit more mercy. So I'm going to say, well, let's round it, you know, times that by two, and just to be safe, let's add one more, so that makes seven. Seven is a pretty cool number, you know. I've heard him talk about the number seven before, so maybe that's a really good place to start. And so Peter goes to him, he says, you know, I'm going to forgive him this way, and he has this idea that, you know, some mercy needs to be extended, and we think the same thing. We think, oh, forgiveness is good. God wants us to extend mercy, some, some grace, but Really then, when we start to think about it a little deeper, when we think and apply what Jesus is saying to our everyday lives, to maybe the struggle that we have right now in forgiveness, the answer starts to make us pretty uncomfortable, and it does so relatively quickly. And why? It's because because this means that Jesus is calling us to forgive everyone even those who are continually wronging us 
or those who have hurt us in such a significant way that even forgiving them once seems like an extraordinary stretch to do. It seems impossible. And it makes us uncomfortable because we think we, we, we don't really want to forgive these people. We want to refute, refute, not refute, refute the bold claim that Jesus makes. We want to say, no, Jesus, you're wrong. You can't possibly be asking me to forgive all these people. You can't possibly be asking me to forgive this person. See, we want to come up to him and say, God, you don't understand. I have forgiven my friend 20, 30, 50 times. But no matter how many times I forgive him, he continues to belittle me in front of my coworkers. And it aggravates me, and I don't want to forgive him anymore. Or we say, God, you can't honestly expect me to forgive my parents, who when I was growing up neglected and wronged me in so many ways, and they hurt me. You can't expect me to forgive that kind of hurt, that kind of pain. Or maybe we have similar thing to where we say, God, my husband or my wife has had an affair. And you know what? I can't forgive him of that. I just simply can't. And maybe, you know, these are just examples of some of the things that we might try to say, you know, forgiveness, unlimited forgiveness, that's not for me, this is why. But I think each one of us has one of these examples that there's a person in our lives that we just cannot seem to bring ourselves to forgive. Because either it's too hard or we want to seek um, their, seek kind of some kind of uh, revenge or repayment before we do forgive. We don't want to do what Jesus is saying in that we don't want to forgive everyone no matter what. See, these pleas for exemption are completely understandable. They're relatable. And we all have, the, have one of these areas in our lives. But despite this, Jesus is making it very clear in this very bold and clear and concise statement that as his disciples, we are called to forgive no matter the circumstance. Now, if left like this, if Jesus heard Peter's question, simply answered it in one sentences and left it like this, that would leave us pretty distressed because now we're felt... Like, well, Jesus, do you actually care then about my situation? I mean, do you actually understand? It? What is the reason? Why do you want me to do this? Is it because you just hate me? You want me to, you want me to forgive? You want me to be, a, uh, uh, be taken advantage of by everyone? But, and, and when I forgive, when I forgive, people are going to take advantage of me. But Jesus doesn't end the discussion there. Jesus provides us with the parable of the unforgiving servant. And he does this to help explain and illustrate why forgiveness is not optional. Now, I've read through the parable, but let me run through it quickly with you, giving you a little bit of context as to what some of the uh, elements of the parable is saying. So, 
Uh, the parable opens up with the ruler who is settling accounts with all of his servants in the kingdom. And essentially what this is, is that um, a ruler is probably in charge of many, 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 many uh, places, large swaths of land. He needs to delegate his responsibilities. So he has high-ranking servants that he gives resources to, that he gives money to. And he expects them to take this money, these resources, and to use them wisely, investing them so that at the end of the year, when it comes time to settle accounts, they will have more than they had been given at the beginning of the year. That was the expectation, that they would have something to give to the king and that the king would be well pleased with them. But in the course of this uh, parable, we see that this, this servant comes to settle accounts and it's found that he is in debt to the ruler 10,000 talents. Now I say 10,000 talents, like it's a big thing, but like, what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, like for me, when I first heard this as a kid, I thought, okay, so this guy, like the servant can juggle, like he can turn his eyelids inside out, he can tap dance, he can hula hoop, and he does those four things, but he also owes the king uh, to teach him like 9,996 other talents. Like, is that what he's talking about? But no, I mean, it's not talents in the literal sense that we know it. Talents is simply a form of money during this time. And see, there's a lot of people who try to convert this uh, amount of money into some kind of understandable way we, we can identify it with today. And plenty of people try, and there's a lot of different um, ideas out there. And honestly, if you go to Google and you just go to and flip through the first five different websites that try to give you an answer, they'll all say something different. But the reality is, is that all of them will say a humongous amount of money. I mean, the lowest that I could find on the estimate and the conversion is $10 million. And that's admittedly probably a pretty, uh, pretty lazy way of converting this kind of thing, but that's the lowest that I could find on the conversion of this amount of money. But I want to suggest to you that similar to before where Jesus is saying, you know, like this is uh, where Jesus is answering, you know, how many times is, am I supposed to forgive? And he says seven, uh, 77 times. It's not that Peter's trying to give a new numeric value. He's simply just trying to make a point. And I would propose that this is exactly what Jesus is doing uh, because simply the fact that 10,000 was the highest numeric value that would have been used during this time. There was nothing higher. There was no number bigger than 10,000 during this time. And a talent was the largest monetary value that they had during this time. So what Jesus is essentially doing is he's taking the largest number that he can think of and the largest monetary value and just putting together. And in doing so, he's not saying, okay, calculate all this out. And then you, who, you guys who are living 2,000 years later, you, know, you calculate and convert it. And then you'll have a specific number of the amount of debt that this person owed. No, I mean, pretty much what Jesus is doing is what I would do if I was writing this in today's con uh, terms, because if I was writing this, I wouldn't say 10,000 talents. I would say, and the servant owed the ruler one billion, quadrillion, billion, zillion, jillion, gillion dollars. <laughs> and we would understand from context that I'm not making a specific number. I don't even know. That probably has who knows how many zeros, right? I don't know, and I'm stating it. So Jesus is making the same statement that this is not uh, to be understood as a specific amount. It is simply an expression that this servant's debt was insurmountable. 
It was completely unpayable. There was no way that this servant was going to be able to repay the debt that he owed. Now, because the servant is in so much debt, the ruler rightfully then commands the servant and his family to be sold into slavery. And, I mean, this would have been a pretty common practice. It was called debtor's prison, where uh, essentially the debtor would be put into prison in hopes that either someone else would pay his debt and release him, or in some weird way, uh, he would find a way to pay the debt off himself. So the ruler is well within his rights to do this, and he says, okay, you're going to be going to debtor's prison. This is what the punishment is for your uh, offense. I mean, but in reality, for an offense this large, it's getting off pretty good. I mean, if I was out some insurmountable amount of money, I might be a little bit more mad than just saying, okay, you're going to prison. I might be calling for, say, heads to roll in this situation, right? But despite that, this is where he's going to go. This is his punishment. But the servant stops and he says, no, wait, please, like, forgive me. And, and he, he tries to even... So in some way, make an empty promise, or maybe he maybe thought he could, but he makes this empty promise that, no, give me like a day, <laughs> give me a week, give me a year, I will repay the debt. But man, if this, if this is even the lowest estimation of $10 million, I don't know about you, but aside from winning the lottery, I'm not, I'm not getting a million dollars even in a year. So he's making these empty promises. He's, he's making a show of it. He's falling down on the ground and he's asking and pleading for forgiveness. And, but despite the fact that he's making these false promises and despite the fact that it's obvious to the ruler that he would never be able to repay it, the ruler still forgives the servant and the servant goes free. Now, then we follow the servant out of the ruler's palace, where he then finds a fellow servant who owes him 100 denarii. And he starts threatening and demanding that he be repaid. And despite what some of us believe about this parable, if we've heard it before, is that this, uh, this debt that he is asking from this other servant, from his coworker, this 100 denarii, it's not a small or insignificant sum. I mean, so I, there's a lot of people who try to draw this comparison that, you know, we have Jesus describing an insurmountable amount of debt, and then this debt here, this hundred denarii, is pretty much just pennies. But no, in the context of, of this story, the denarii is actually a significant amount. See, a denarii is basically, as we can better understand it for us today, one denarii is a, a daily wage for an average worker during this time. So it's a pretty easy calculation that if we extrapolate that out, that that's 100 days of pretty much your salary that is owed. Now, this is not an insignificant sum because if any of us were to be out a third of our salary from the year, we might be in some financial struggle, right? Or at least, you know, we would be like, oh, man, I wish I had that money <laughs> at the very least. It's not something that is just like, oh, I dropped 10 cents in the back of the couch. I maybe we'll pick it up later, right? This is significant. And this is a significant uh, wage or a significant debt that is owed. So he goes to this servant. He says, give me what you owe. But in response, the coworker, this fellow servant, does the same exact thing 
that this unforgiving servant did to the ruler. And he gets down on his knees and he pleads and he begs. Only this time, the, the pleading and the promise of uh, repayment is actually pretty much a lot more uh, believable than what this guy just did for the ruler. But despite that, the unforgiving servant earns his name and doesn't forgive the, the servant, his coworker. And then, obviously, we read that, you know, there's some other servants that are there witnessing this, who understand what has all transpired. And they go back to the ruler and they say, listen, like, you just forgave this guy an insurmountable amount of, uh, of debt. Yet he's over there choking this other guy, telling him to give him a hundred denarii. And it's not even close to what you've forgiven him. And that just doesn't sit well with us. What are you going to do, ruler? So what the ruler does is that he calls that servant back and he says, as he says to him, you wicked, wicked servant. How could you not forgive that person after I have forgiven you so much? And the parable goes on, but we'll get there in a moment. See, this parable, now better understood, helps clarify why forgiveness is not optional for the believer. Because it draws out the second truth of forgiveness, which is this, that we forgive because Christ has forgiven us. See, it is not hard to see in this parable that Jesus is drawing a pretty uh, clear uh, comparison between the ruler and the servant. He's saying, I am the ruler, God is the ruler, you are the servant. And he's saying, we are the servant and God is the ruler and that we have great debt to pay before God. Now, this is not the monetary debt that is described in this parable. Instead, it is the debt that comes in our life in the form of sin. See, our sin is overwhelming. And to repay this debt would take something that we could never, ever do. To repay this debt is impossible. We can never hope to repay it. This debt, uh, and this debt or to gain our freedom from it. Instead, we come before God and we plead with him to forgive us our debt so that we do not succumb to the punishment of that debt, which is ultimately death, separation from God from eternity. It is eternal death. And despite the enormity of our debt that we have before God because we sin so, so much. And we sin so, so much. We sin so much more than we think. I mean, I remember being in youth group and having people come and talk to us and say, you know, like, just count up one day's worth of your sins and you'll be astounded by what you figure out. I mean, even when you sit down and you try to say, okay, I'm going to spend all day today and I'm just going to ask God to forgive me for each individual sin, you will still forget some and overlook others. I mean, sin is so prevalent in our lives that sometimes we don't even understand that we sin when we sin. I mean, our understanding of what sin is is always is just can be so misunderstanding of it that we forget and we don't even realize that we sin. But Jesus... But God forgives us of this debt. And he does it through his son, Jesus, who willingly came to this earth to take that debt, pay the price, and thus allow us to be forgiven by the Father, which then allows us to have a relationship with him. 
See, Jesus is drawing this, uh, this comparison because he wants us to realize that we have been forgiven of so great an amount. In fact, we have been forgiven so great an amount, we are like that, that servant. Where we, we have been forgiven is insurmountable. That it should change our lives. But Jesus doesn't stop there in the parable, withdrawing this conclusion. He takes this fact that we have been forgiven and then illustrates for us just how trivial it really is when we deny others forgiveness, considering the forgiveness that we have been granted. See, now we must remember that the debt that the servant is asking his coworker for is not a trivial amount of money. Right? We just discussed that. There are many people who if they were out of a third year's of salary, they would be in trouble. So this amount of money meant a lot both to the servant and also his friend. But, but this is intentional by Jesus. Because by Jesus drawing this idea that this is not a trivial, trivial amount to these servants, that really though, it is trivial but only when we compare it to the enormity of how much we have been forgiven. See, this servant should have understood that when he went out to wherever this other uh, servant was to gain that, that payment, that he should have understood and left the palace with a skip and a step and an understanding that he has just been forgiven literal, uh, of literal death. He was saved from death. But yet his first action is to go to his coworker and say, you know what, I've forgotten what I've just been forgiven and I'm going to act as though I was never forgiven in the first place. I need your money, I need it now, give it to me right now. See, we may come to God in frustration or hurt and we cry out and we say, God, how am I to forgive this person who is wronged and hurt me so deeply? And Jesus' response is to remember just how much we have been forgiven. This will put in perspective just how little Jesus is asking us to forgive. Because at the beginning, you know, I stated like a lot of people have a lot of reasons why they think they can be exempt from this reality that we are obliged to forgive. We say things in our lives are just too great to forgive. But Jesus is calling us to stop and to think and to consider our forgiveness in light of what Christ has forgiven us. What we are asked, being asked to forgive in light of what Jesus has done for us. Then all of a sudden we'll realize that, you know what? The debts that are owed me, the wrongs that people have done to me, they fall in great comparison to what Jesus has done and forgiven me. But what if then, that sounds great, right? We understand this is the reason why we need to forgive, why forgiveness is not, a, uh, is not optional in the believer's life. But what if we hear this and we simply ignore the command Jesus uh, gave? What if we just say, okay, enough is enough, you know? God, I, I understand, you know, I've heard the reasons why I need to forgive, but I don't care. I know better. I know that unforgiveness is actually the better route for me. 
And then, but this is where the last part of the parable and the last saying of Jesus comes into play. Because Jesus uses the end of this parable as a warning to reveal to us the last truth of forgiveness, which is namely that there are consequences to unforgiveness. See, because Jesus has already established that forgiveness is not optional, we can understand unforgiveness is to be a sinful act. I mean, Jesus has commanded it very clearly in his answer to Peter. It's clear. Jesus commanded it, but then he goes on to explain it. See, not only is the desire to be unforgiving uh, going directly against Jesus' clear command, but it is also revealing the complete neglect and willful, willful ignorance of our understanding of what we have been forgiven. It's not that we've forgotten what we've been forgiven, but we make the conscious effort to say, you know what, Jesus, you've forgiven me all this, but I don't, I don't care. <laughs> I know you're calling me to it because of your forgiveness, but you don't understand in comparison. From my point of view, you've just forgiven me a little bit. My problems are much bigger. And we say this because we don't want to forgive. We want to ignore the command and the reason why. But then this is where the warning comes in. Because unforgiveness is a sinful act, we can expect it to have the same effect on our relationship with God as any other sin does. Specifically, sin drives a wedge in the middle of our relationship with God. And until that sin is uh, addressed and resolved, the sin will continue to separate us. And God will become less involved in our lives, leaving us to experience the natural consequences of our sin. This is what is meant in the final words of this parable, where he, uh, where he gives the example of the servant comes back to the ruler, and the ruler says, you wicked and evil servant, I'm going to do to you what I should have done the first time, give you the consequences of what you've done. And then Jesus gives a little bit of a commentary at the very end of this parable, which is just another crazy claim and, and astounding claim that he makes. And he says, do if, uh, and he says, and I'll read it for you so I don't misquote it, but he says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So what Jesus is saying and, and warning against is that unforgiveness has grave consequences. Unforgiveness means that we're going to suffer consequences for not forgiving. Now, I know we read that commentary at the end, that, that statement Jesus makes, and we say, wow, okay, so does that mean we're going to lose our salvation if we don't forgive enough? Or does it mean that we earn our salvation by forgiving? Like, what is Jesus saying? What does he mean in these final words? And obviously, we know from Scripture that as believers, and specifically this, this parable that's being spoken to believers, to us who have already experienced uh, the, the salvation, the security of our salvation. So it can't mean that we are going to lose our salvation or that we earn our salvation. So what I believe that Jesus is trying to pull out is that there are consequences to our uh, unforgiveness. And these consequences are simply that we will be given over to the punishment, the natural punishment, the things that naturally grow out of our unforgiveness, and we will experience them to the fullness. 
So some of the ways that God will allow us to experience the natural consequences of our sin is by not being forgiven by others. I mean, that's one of the easiest things we can pull out. The easiest consequences that we can experience when we don't forgive is that others will see that we're not forgiving. And when we go to people and we ask them for forgiveness, no, I'm not going to forgive you. Similar to um, this parable, and they would see that this servant isn't forgiving, so why, is, why should I be forgiving to you? And that'd be a consequence to us because that can ruin relationships. It can really ruin our testimony. People can look at us and see us as being unforgiving, and that can really tell a lot about a person. We can also be left with the broken relationship that will only serve to remind us that the hurt of the hurt that we received. I mean, if we don't forgive, then that person, and we are still in contact with that person we don't forgive, every time we see them, we will be reminded of the wrong that they have done to us. That that hurt will just fester and reappear. Some of the other uh, ways that we experience this, um, this punishment, these, these consequences, is that uh, we uh, will have a persistent and unforgettable hurt that we experience over and over again until it's resolved. And it will be in our mind forever. I mean, we'll think on it. We'll fester on it. If you've ever uh, tried to not forgive, if we've ever held a grudge, we know that the grudge doesn't help us. Ultimately, the grudge is always there. It's, it's pulling us down. It's discouraging us. And that will be there. And it will affect the rest of our lives. I mean, if you've ever been um, frustrated, because that can be a big result of an unforgiveness, right? We're frustrated with someone. If you've ever been frustrated, you know that it's not just the feeling of frustration that's the problem. It's that the rest of our lives can be shaped and be affected by that frustration. I mean, we're frustrated at our coworker, but we come home and we're frustrated. So then something happens at home and now we're all of a sudden we're frustrated with our wife, with our kids. You know, these are things that affect more than just us if we are not willing to forgive. See, we'll, we will experience these consequences, but we'll only experience them until we return to a healthy relationship with God by forgiving those that we have neglected to forgive. Only then will God help us overcome these consequences of, forg of our forgiveness. And then finally on this point, we might think, well, why does God give us these consequences? I mean, it seems like he's maybe a little bit of a vengeful God himself in this sense. Why is he handing us over to these things? Why does he allow us to suffer in this way? Well, similar, if you were here on uh, just, what was it, maybe even, yeah, a couple nights ago for the Christmas Eve service, right? We were talking a lot about the prodigal son and Pastor Mike brought up the reality that the love of the father was so great that he was willing to allow the son to do something that he knew would hurt him for the greater good. That he allowed his son to do what he knew would hurt him so that he could eventually restore the relationship back to where it needed to be. And that's why Jesus allows these things to happen to us when we are unforgiving. Because Jesus wants us to experience these bad things because they will uh, consistently point us back to the fact that we are in the wrong, that we need to reconcile 
with the other person, but more importantly, we need to reconcile with God and come back to him and accept that what he says is true about forgiveness, that it's not optional, and that we do it because Christ has forgiven us. We do it because we want to, because it's a natural response to Christ's forgiveness in our lives. So in conclusion, forgiveness is really difficult, and we know that to be true. I mean, I experienced the difficulty. Whenever it's time to forgive someone, there's always that twinge of questioning. We say, you know what, maybe this one time I don't need to forgive. Maybe it's just going a step too far. I mean, does Jesus really want me to be taking advantage of? Does he really want me to forgive again? Will that really help the other person, right? We even put it on the other person. And we ask these questions and it's difficult. And we may be tempted to believe that our circumstances absolve us of Jesus' statement that forgiveness is optional. But we, we are tempted to think this way. And forgiveness seems impossible. In those situations where we think, man, if Jesus just understood, <laughs> if Jesus just understood the hurt that this person afflicted on me, then he wouldn't require me to forgive. When we think like that, Jesus calls us to remember the great, abundant, and awesome forgiveness that he has given us so that we may gain a proper perspective that forgiving others, that we forgive others not because it is easy or even because it is the right thing to do, but because God has forgiven us. See, forgiveness should not be an action. When we make forgiveness an action, we turn forgiveness into a religious thing that we have to do. We say, Jesus told me to forgive, so I have to forgive. But that's the wrong motivation behind forgiveness. Our forgiveness should not be an action, but it should actually be the force, it should be the reaction to the reality of how much we have been forgiven. We need to take hold of the reality and not just take it for granted. I mean, I think that's a big point of what Jesus is pulling out in this parable is he's saying, listen, Peter, listen, my disciples, you so often forget how much you have been forgiven. And because of that, you don't understand forgiveness. But Peter, but Jesus responds and he says, no, let me show you though. Let me show you how much you are forgiven. Let me show you what this means for you in forgiveness. It means forgiveness is not optional. It means as a believer, we forgive all without seeking vengeance, without seeking repayment. Because if we seek repayment in forgiveness, it's not actually forgiveness. We are called to forgive because Christ has forgiven us our sins. This is what we are called to do as disciples of Christ. So let's live it out in our lives today, this week, this new year. Let's make this year, 2022, the year that we forgive, not out of obligation, not because we think that it's a religious thing that we have to do, but because Christ did it for us.